Can you please stand for the reading of God's Word? This morning we're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to read verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to read verses, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to read verse 7. And the only reason why we do this is because we want to show reverence to God and His Word. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Lord, I pray that you speak to us this morning. We know, Lord, that your word, the Bible is your word, not created by men, not invented by men. It's your inspiration. Therefore, Lord, I pray that you use your word to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to those far from you. We pray for this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, you may be seated. So my name is Hannibal Rodriguez. For those of you that don't know me, I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and I want to welcome you again, just in case you're, especially if you're visiting for the first time, uh, I, I want to welcome you and let you know that we're here to serve you, and we want to love you as much as you allow us to love you. If you have questions for us at the end of the service, there's going to be a team here in the front. They could pray with you, and they could pray for you. I'm also going to spend a few minutes here in the front. If you have a positive comment for me, please come to the front. If the comment is not as positive, don't come to the front. Uh, just kidding. No, I'm not. Just stay back there. Um, I made the same joke yesterday, uh, last week in the other room, and they, they also laughed. So um, let me tell you why this is, uh, if you're visiting especially, let me tell you why this is, is so important that you're here and why I'm so glad that you're here. Because last week we started a series based on one book of the Bible, Hebrews 11 in which we are looking into different case studies uh, to learn what the Christian faith looks like. And if you are a Christian already, this is the best time because you are being reminded of what the Christian faith looks like. Now, notice that I use the phrase Christian faith because I believe that we all live by faith. We all believe in something. We all trust something. We all pursue something. We all have an object of our faith. But what we want to see with this series here is why is it that Christians claim to believe in God and the effect of that in everything we do. See, we believe that your faith dictates everything you do. It dictates the way you live your life. It it dictates the way you deal with problems. It dictates the way you handle relationships. It dictates the way you work. It dictates the way you rest. It, di it dictates how you live your life as a single person or as a married person. It dictates the way you live your life as a parent or as a son and a daughter. It dictates the way you work. It dictates everything, everything in your life. No one can live without faith. And your faith dictates everything about you. 
So what we're doing today is we're learning from one of the most well-known persons in the Bible. His name is Noah. And we're going to be looking at Noah and his life of faith. Can we get the first? There it is. Noah and his life of faith. And um, we're going to talk, and, and the reason uh, we're looking at this guy specifically is because this person, Noah, not only is well known by everybody, actually the story of Noah is so popular that there are similar stories to this story in other religions. But what I want you to see today from the story of Noah is that for Noah, the life of faith was in direct connection to the concept of grace. Can you say grace? What we're going to do here then is we're going to learn from things from the life of Noah. We're going to learn Noah and the gift of grace. We're going to talk about Noah and the gift of grace. We're going to talk about Noah and the effect of grace. Then we're going to look into Noah and the assurance of grace. And finally, we're looking into Noah and the source of grace. Gift, effect, assurance, source. 30 minutes, 20 minutes. 10 minutes, 5 minutes, a total of 2 hours. Now, before we start, let me make a quick commercial, okay? How many of you, how many of you have uh, children in the children's ministries right now? Kids' life. All right. Today, our kids are learning, going through the same topic we're going through right now. So this is going to be a great opportunity for you to have conversations with them about this topic today. Maybe they're going to correct my teaching or I'm going to correct somebody else's teaching. But it's going to be a great opportunity for you guys to talk about this topic today. Amen? All right, let's, go, uh, t- let's talk about the first one here, Noah and the gift of uh, grace. Now, I want to give you a little bit of context here. Because the context of the story, the context of the narrative is really important. Um, the book of Hebrews was written to a group of Christians or to a group of believers That since the moment they committed their life to Jesus, since the very moment they declared that they believed in Jesus, things started to go wrong for them. Since the very moment, families were rejecting them, they're losing their properties, they're being persecuted, some of them are being executed. Now, they're going through such a difficult, difficult, difficult situation in their lives that many of them, if not all of them, are starting to question if believing in Jesus was a mistake. And that questioning is affecting their view of God. And that questioning is affecting their relationships with one another. And that questioning is affecting every area of their life. Which, by the way, is one of the things that I love about the Bible. Because the Bible does not show me these superhumans that never struggle. The beauty of the Bible is that shows me broken people that struggle just as much as I struggle. People that go through the same things I go through. People that have, that have questions the same way I have questions. And people, listen up, that sometimes doubt God just as sometimes I doubt God. That's one of the beautiful things about the Bible. It shows you the reality of life. And it tells you that life sometimes sucks the joy out of life. 
Now, what is interesting about this letter, though, is that the author, instead of giving them, listen up, seven practical steps to deal with your frustration and fears, instead of giving them five practical things to live your best life now, he goes completely countercultural. He does something that nobody else would do in modern times. He takes a few people from the Old Testament, people that have gone through things that none of us have actually experienced, things that people have gone through that are extremely complicated, extremely difficult situations, and the author tells us, learn from them. Whatever they believed, you believe. Whatever they trusted, you trust. Whatever the object of their faith was, that ought to be the object of your faith. Because if they survived, you will survive. Notice that it's not about doing things. It's about believing things. And that's when Noah comes in. Once again, a very well-known story. Probably everyone in this room knows everything about this story known as the flood. But just in case you, you are not familiar with this, I want to give you a background on it. Because the background is really important. See, the first book of the Bible, as we all know, many of us know, is Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 1, uh, we see how God created everything perfect and beautiful. And then we jump to Genesis chapter 2, and we see that in Genesis chapter 2, God created Adam and Eve. And everything is so perfect and it's so beautiful that everything is in perfect harmony. Harmony between God and, and his creation. Harmony between God and human beings. Harmony between human beings and human beings. And harmony between human beings and creation. But then when you go to Genesis chapter 3, known as the fall... Sin enters the world. Satan deceives Adam and Eve. And everything goes downhill from that point on. So there's no longer harmony between human beings and God. There's no longer harmony between human beings and human beings. And there is no longer peace and harmony between human beings and creation. That's the context of the story. And then God says that Everything is so and so bad that he has decided to destroy it all. And that's how we find this verse right here. This is Genesis chapter 6. And it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. Notice here the magnitude of the effect of sin, not only in us, but in creation. And that every inclination, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart, not just the things we do, but the inclinations of our heart, was only evil all the time. That's a pretty raw description of human beings. And then this is what the Lord says. And the Lord regretted that, that, that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. And I want you to stop there for a second, because this is where theologians 
take the concept of sinful nature or describe the concept of total depravity, which is not, really, it's not a really nice concept, but I want to explain it to you really quick. When us as Christians, when Christians says that we are sinful people, this is exactly what we're describing. We are saying that everything we do, even the good things we do, are tainted by our sin. Because it has to do with motivations. And when theologians talk about total depravity, what they're saying is that human beings have the potential to do crazy, evil things. It doesn't mean that you're the worst person ever. But it means that you have the potential to do crazy, evil things. It doesn't mean that you're bad all the time. But it means that you have the potential to do horrible things. And all you have to do is look at the history of the world. So every time I hear someone saying, man, we've got to put a trust in humanity. I think you've got to read those verses. So the way I've said it here before is like this, and hopefully nobody gets offended. It'll be good if you get offended. If you think that you're good, those verses tell you that you're not that good. If you think that you're okay, these verses tell you that you are worse than what you think you are. And if you think that you're evil, Man, you have no idea how evil you could be. Why am I telling you all of this? Two things. Because I want you to see the heart of God when he sees his creation doing what we do. It shows you the picture of a God that sees his beautiful creation and human beings created in his dignity and value, destroying one another. Destroying what he created. And he feels what a parent feels when you see your kid doing things that could potentially destroy them. Deeply troubled. Now, why give you all this description? It's because this is the description of Noah. This is Noah. You see, if you grew up in church... You most likely, something tells me that most likely you never hear Noah described in those terms. Actually, I was doing my little research and I found like 20 songs talking about Noah for Sunday school classes. And not one song described Noah as a wicked person. Sinful person deserving the wrath of God. Because that would scare our kids. Nobody will memorize that song. But this is the description here. This is how the Bible talks about Noah. Yes, he was a righteous man, but he was a righteous man after something happened to him. You know how I know that? Look at this verse. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Can you say favor? You know what the word favor means? Grace. You know what grace means? That God gives something to someone that they don't deserve. That God gave Noah something he did not work for. That God gave Noah something he did not earn. And what changed the life of Noah 
in the midst of everything that was happening, is that he believed. He believed who God is, that he's a God of grace, and he believed that he did not deserve anything. He believed that he was just like everybody else. He believed that he didn't deserve anything like everybody else. He believed that he has done wrong things just like everybody else. But he also believed that God in his mercy and grace extended love to him to the point that he wanted to save him. I want you to get that picture because we need to get rid of this cartoonish image of who Noah is. Noah was saved, but we're saved by grace and grace alone. That's why the Lord tells them to build the ark. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people from the earth because the earth is filled with violence because of them. And notice what he says later on. I'm surely going to destroy both of them and the earth. And I want you to pay attention here really quick because he tells you that when you sin, when I sin, when we have sin, the effects of our sin has uh, implications and everything, including creation. And God says, make yourself an ark of cypress wood. It's all grace right from the beginning of the Bible. It's all grace. Everything from beginning to end, it's all grace. God giving people what they don't deserve. God giving people what they did not work for. God giving people what they did not earn. This is one of the central themes in the entire Bible. That's why some people have called this grace is have said that grace is the center of the Bible and the center of Christianity. And if you really pay attention, grace is both wonderful news and an offensive news. Wonderful because he tells you that you don't have to do anything to earn God's approval. He gives it to you. But it's offensive because he tells you that you're powerless to save yourself. It's offensive because he, tell you that, he tells you that you are not as strong as you think you are. It's offensive because he tells you that in everything you have and in everything you are, you are fully dependent on him. It's offensive because he tells you that there's nothing you could do to earn God's love and save yourself. See, that's what it means to live by faith. It's to know that everything you are and everything you have is all grace. The reason why you are here today is because of grace. The reason why you are alive is because of grace. The reason why we have relationships is because of grace. The reason why you have a job and you exist is because of grace. You didn't work for it. You didn't deserve it. God gave it to you. It's all grace. And the author of Hebrews, writing to these suffering and, and questioning Christians, he tells them the most practical thing he could tell them. Remember. Remember that you received the same thing that Noah received. Remember that you were saved by grace. Remember that he's for you and not against you. Remember that even though you're going through pain and difficult situations, God is not angry with you. Remember that you cannot lose what you have not worked for. Remember. Is that true for you? Is that your understanding of grace? Is that what grace does to you? 
Because one of the difficulties that people have when it comes to the concept of grace is that people think that if you believe in grace, um, you have permission to do whatever you want. You know what's interesting? That's not in the Bible. So with that, I go to the second point, Noah and the effect of grace. Because I want, you, I want to prove to you from the scripture that when you accept and believe in the concept of grace, that changes everything. It changes the way you view God. It changes the way you view yourself. And it changes the way you live your life. And look at how this is played out in the life of Noah. And let's go back to Hebrews verse 11. And it says that by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, can you say holy fear? Built an ark to save his family. And the key phrase right there is the word holy fear, which means reverence or admiration. It doesn't mean fear, and the explanation is actually really simple. If God saves people by grace, and God is for them, why would we fear the God of our salvation? That's why the word holy fear means reverence or admiration. It's this idea that when you encounter something that is so beautiful, so perfect, and so amazing, the natural response is to admire it and do anything to please it. I, I, I don't know if you guys watch a lot of YouTube videos, but I have two daughters, so I actually watch a lot of YouTube videos. And I'm going to give you three examples that I've seen all over the place. I don't know if you've ever seen a baby. There's a bunch of videos on this, but there's a baby. Uh, um, or maybe you went through this. But, but a, a tiny little baby looking at a mom, and you can see the expression of this baby full of joy. It's like, they can't say anything. They just, and the mom is like, oh, my God, it's beautiful. That's what it means to have holy fear. It's when you admire something so and so beautiful that it captivates everything about you. Have you ever seen a, a colorblind person? Do you know a colorblind person? Here's one. If you don't know what that is, let me explain it really quick. A colorblind person is a person that when there are certain colors together, you cannot uh, make a distinction between the colors. So, for example, if, if you put green and red for me in front of me, I could only see either green or red. I cannot see them both. Don't ask me how I drive because that's besides the point. <laughs> or if I see blue and purple together, I could only see either blue or purple. Actually, most of the time, it's blue. Well, recently, they have created these glasses that, that when you put them on, you can see all the colors the way they are, the way God intended them to be. And they're super expensive uh, glasses and because I don't make enough money in this place. I haven't been able to buy it. <laughs> just a joke, okay, elders? Rob, it's just a joke. <laughs> but I know that I'm missing something out. Because every time I've seen a video of someone wearing those glasses, you got to see their faces, man. It makes me weep. They put them on and they're like... Man, I got to be missing a bunch of stuff. 
That's holy fear. When you can admire something and be completely controlled by it. Here's another example. Have you ever seen a bi bicultural couple that don't speak the same language, but they are in love? You've never seen that? As a, as a Latino pastor, I've seen that all the time. And you got to see this couple trying to communicate. They, they have nothing to say yet. They are so in love with one another that they will do anything. Listen up. They will do anything to please the other person. They learn sign language because they can't communicate like this. You want to go to the park to eat an ice cream? That's what holy fear is. And that's what Noah experienced. That's exactly what he experienced. Because that's what happens when someone understands the concept of grace. It leads you to obedience. It leads you to obedience. You are in, you are in so much love with the God of your salvation. You know that you don't deserve anything and yet God saves you. That that moves you to obedience. That's why obedience in the Bible is always a blessing. That's why obedience in the Bible is a way in which you show gratitude. That's why obedience in the Bible is never an obligation and is never punishment. That's why obedience in the Bible is always an act of adoration. That's why James, Jesus' little brother, used to say to his congregation, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. There's not one person that fully understands and grasps the concept of grace that is not changed by it. Notice that grace is not a transaction. You're not telling God, I'm going to do this for you, so you do this for me. Grace is you giving yourself for him because who he is and what he has done for you. Grace changes everything. Now, the question we got to ask Noah is this. Was this hard? Was this hard for you, Noah? You bet it was. God called them to build an ark in the middle of nowhere. God called him to build this ark where there was no ocean. God called them to build an ark where there's no rain. Can you imagine how hard that was? Can you see yourself doing something like that? So the question we got to ask Noah is, why did you do this? Why were you willing to go through this? You already know that you're saved by grace. You already know that grace affects the way you live your life and you respond in obedience. Why did he do this? I want to show you this really at this point number three, Noah. And the assurance of grace, because grace not only saves, and grace not only changes you, but grace gives you complete 
security if you want, or you're sure about something. And I want to show you this verse really quick, only the bottom part. But the Lord says here that he's going to destroy everything else. But then he says that humanity will live only for 120 years. That number, 120 years, is a really important number, you know. Because he tells you that since the moment God told Noah to build this ark, there will be 120 years will pass by. Meaning that it will take Noah... Uh, 120 years to build this ark. 120 years. Meaning that for 120 years, people were most likely calling him crazy. Meaning that for 120 years, maybe, just maybe, his family, they they would say things to him like, are you sure God called you to do this? Maybe, just maybe, for 120 years, he doubted himself. I wonder if I listened to the voice of God. Maybe, just maybe, for 120 years. He tried, and he called people to repentance, and he called people to believe, and nobody paid attention to him. You know how I know that? Because 2 Peter says that he was the herald of righteousness. You know what it means to step in faith, to trust God, to do this thing for 120 years, calling people, believe, 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 the flood is coming. And everyone says, you're crazy, man. 120 years. Why did he do this? And I want to show you this amazing image that probably you've never seen before. The Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous. Remember, righteousness is after grace in this generation. Then the Lord shut him in. You know what that means? That Noah didn't close the door. God closed the door. Noah went in, but it was the Lord that closed the door. Closed the door, and if it was God that shut him in, it was gonna be God the one that that would sustain him in the midst of the storm. That, these are not just words. He tells you that God made a commitment, not just to save him, but to keep him safe. That's crazy. Because if God saved you by grace, and He uh, and grace has an effect, you can be completely sure that God is going to sustain you by faith. See, in 2020, our $20 bill is going to have a new face on it. I don't know if you heard of that before. It's going to have the face of an African-American woman called Harriet Tubman. A woman that in the 1800s, early 1800s, was enslaved and escaped. And after being freed, she came back to save another 300 slaves. And one of her friends says that the reason why she did what she did, and I quote, is because the source of her strength came from her faith in God as deliverer and protector of the weak. And this person describes... Her as a person that made this prayer 
uh, quite a few times. She would say, and I quote, I always told God, I'm going to hold steady on you, and you have to see me through. I'm going to hold on on you, or hold on to you, and you have to see me through. And this is the author of the book of Hebrews, talking to suffering Christians, questioning Christians, and telling them the most practical thing he could tell, he could tell them. You are not alone as you go through problems. You are not alone as you go through difficult situations. Remember. Remember that the same God that saved, that saved you by grace is the same God that sustains you by grace. Remember. That's what faith, Christian faith, looks like. Question. How do we know if this is true? How do you know if this is true for you today? How do you know if this is true for me today? And I want to go back to the context of the letter. Because you have to pay attention to the context. I told you already that this is suffering people. And they're questioning their Christianity. What is interesting, though, is that the book of Hebrews has 13 chapters. And I mentioned this before somewhere. The book of Hebrews has 13 chapters. And for 10 chapters out of the 13, before 11, there's only one topic, one theme. Jesus. For 10 chapters, the only person he talks about is Jesus. And he describes Jesus as the source of a better salvation, a salvation, better hope, better covenant, better promises, better sacrifice, better possessions, better future, better resurrection, and better world. For 10 chapters. Why? This is the reason. Because he wants us to see the source of grace. This is the thing. If the author was going into this list of people in Hebrews 11 to tell us, look at these people, how these faithful people were, imitate them. That's not what the author wants. What the author wants is for us to see them and to see Jesus through them. He's not changing the topic. He wants us to see every single character, every single person in the book of Hebrews and see Jesus through them. And I want to prove it to you in the life of Noah. Do you know what the name Noah means? Rest. And the Bible tells us that Jesus came to give us rest, Matthew 11. The Bible tells us that Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And Matthew 3 tells us that Jesus is the beloved son in whom God is well pleased. The Bible tells us that Noah was a righteous man. And the Bible also tells us that when Jesus was crucified, one of the soldiers looked at him and says, truly this was a righteous man. Noah, God gave Noah a work to do. To build an ark and to save a family. 
God gave Jesus a work to do. To save humanity and liberate creation from the bondage of sin and to give us freedom. What the author wanted was for us to see Jesus in the life of Noah. What the author wanted was to see us, Jesus, not just in the life of Noah, but in the ark. So Jesus is the ultimate Noah, the better Noah. And Jesus is the ultimate ark, the better ark. And with this I finish. This is Peter Lewis, an English pastor in the early 1900s. He said it this way, Jesus is the ark. He is big enough for the whole world, is strong enough to withstand the shocks of life, the rising water of death, and the disruption of the last judgment. There is safety here in the Son of God, sent to be for us a shelter, the salvation that we so desperately needed. Our ark, our safe passage into the new world God has planned. Do you want to embrace the concept of grace? You must embrace the concept of Jesus. Do you want to be affected by the concept of grace? You must be affected by the concept of Jesus. Do you want to experience a, a sense of security in your life? You might sense the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Do you want to live by faith? You must believe in the source of faith and the source of grace, the Son of God, Jesus. Don't imitate Noah. Believed, believe what Noah believed. Trust what he trusted. Do you have that? Let's pray. Our wonderful Savior, we, we come to you as needy people. People in need of grace. People desperate for grace. And I pray, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, you'll reveal Jesus to us in such a way that we believe and understand the source of grace our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says...